If you've been following religious news stories over the last few years, you might have heard that the ancient practice of exorcism is making something of a comeback. And of course, for secular-minded people, it all seems a little bit silly. I mean, in the 21st century, who still believes in demonic possession? Or, for that matter, the devil? Today, on The Voice of Prophecy, what the Bible really says about the Prince of Darkness. The ever-popular Pope Francis raised some eyebrows a little while ago when, in the words of the Washington Post, he went, quote, old school on the devil. In spite of his liberal views on a lot of traditional Catholic positions, the Pope still believes there's a fallen angel lurking behind the scenes of the world's biggest problems. Of course, some of the more secular news organizations expressed surprise, or even concern, that what appears to be the most modern pope in history still believes in a devil. For the most part, even some mainstream Christians have tossed aside the whole idea. In fact, back in 2009, the Barna Group published the results of a survey that revealed that only 35% of self-described Christians actually believe the devil is real, and nearly 60% did not. At the same time, though, belief in God proved to be quite widespread. In fact, belief in God hovers around three-quarters of the American population, at least according to one Harris poll that I read from 2013. So, if you take both these polls at face value, you have a situation where roughly twice as many people believe in God as believe in the devil. And, of course, I am comparing two separate polls, which were designed quite differently, and they had different sample groups. So maybe what I'm doing isn't fair. I admit that. So what I did is I went back to the same Harris poll, and I discovered that Harris also asked a question about the devil. And 58% of their respondents said they believe. So to be fair, when you look at the same sample group, you have 74% who believe in God, and 58% who believe in the devil. But that still means you have a situation where people are more likely to believe in God. It seems like the devil is one of the first things to go when people start questioning the authenticity or the authority of the Bible. But if you want to be a biblical Christian, if you want to believe what the prophets and apostles wrote, if you believe that they gave us an accurate account of what Jesus believed and taught, you'll have some trouble dismissing the devil or relegating him to the world of mythology. Because the Bible does not speak of the devil as a parable or a symbol or a figment of the imagination. For example, let's go to the story of the temptation of Jesus, where he spends 40 days in the wilderness getting ready for his public ministry. In Matthew chapter 4, we're told the devil comes and speaks to Jesus. And we really have no indication in this account that this is just an allegory. It reads like an actual, literal story. Matthew is as factual about this event as he is about anything else in the life of Christ. He talks about it the same way he talks about Jesus speaking with his disciples or preaching to the multitudes. He tells the story like it actually happened. 
And it becomes really obvious that this is meant to be an actual account during the second temptation. Here, listen to this. This is Matthew 4, verse 8. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Verse 10, Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. The devil then left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Now, if the devil is just an allegory, you've got to look at the story and wonder, then who is Jesus being tempted to worship? I mean, if this is just a metaphor for something, what in the world does it mean? If we want to say that the devil is nothing more than a symbol for the evil that lurks in our own human hearts, what does that say about Jesus? Would that mean that God's only begotten Son is now wrestling with the evil lurking in his heart? For the Christian, that's not an option. Jesus is sinless. If, if the devil is nothing but a symbol of our human struggle against dark thoughts, then who is Jesus being tempted to worship? I mean, if he is just an allegory, is Jesus in this story being tempted to worship himself? I mean, how do you make sense out of that? I, I suppose if you want to get really theological, you could make the argument that in this story, what's happening is that God the Son is being tempted to seize the kingdom, seize the world through a shortcut. You might argue that the devil symbolizes the struggle in Jesus' heart as he faces the reality of a tough public ministry and eventually a horrible death. But if that's what we make of the story, then we have to ignore certain elements. Which, by the way, is always the case when you start to pick and choose what you want to believe in the Bible. So, for example, in this story, we would have to ignore the fact that the devil eventually leaves. He walks away, and the angels come to comfort Jesus. Now, of course, a lot of people who refuse to believe in fallen angels have no problem with the good angels because, well, they're just so nice. We'd like to have them in the story. So, if the devil wasn't in this story, people might be tempted to say, well, of course angels come and comforted Jesus, because, well, what a nice thing, right? But the minute you introduce the devil, some people exist, oh, that's just an allegory. But read the story carefully. The language isn't allegory. Jesus tells the devil that only God should be worshipped. He pits the worship of one real being, that's God the Father, against the worship of another real being, that's Lucifer. They either both have to be allegories, or they both have to be real. If you go and look at Luke's version of the story, Luke chapter 4, it says, The devil left, he walked away from Jesus, until an opportune time. In other words, whatever was tempting Jesus out there in the wilderness made a conscious decision to walk away and come back some other day. Now, that's not an allegory. A metaphor can't do that. An allegory can't sit on the sidelines and look for an opportunity to make the Son of God fail. This story describes a real devil making a real decision. And if this is just a symbol of internal struggle, something going on in Jesus' mind, well, that would mean, think about this, that would mean that God himself in human flesh, in this story, is looking for an opportunity to make himself fail. Now, that flies in the face of everything the Bible teaches. I mean, the language used in all three synoptic Gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, 
that language talks about the devil as if he's absolutely real and concrete. This whole idea that Satan is nothing but a metaphor, that, that would have been completely foreign to the authors of the Bible. This is not what they taught. This is not what they believed. And after we take a quick break, I'm going to come right back and show you a story in the Bible that doesn't even involve human beings, and it still talks about the devil as if he's absolutely real. Don't you go away. I'll be right back. Hello, I'm Jean Boonstra. Do you feel as if you have more questions than answers in your life? Are you searching for answers to some of life's biggest questions? Well, the Discover Bible Guides can help you find the answers you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or call us at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions. And welcome back to the Voice of Prophecy. I am your host, Sean Boonstra, and today we're talking about the Pope's, well, fairly recent declaration that the devil is real. And honestly, one of the reasons I think that a lot of modern Christians are tempted to think of the devil as just some sort of personification of evil and, and not a real literal being, well, I think it's because modern Christians are actually becoming more and more biblically illiterate. See, I guess once you dismiss the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis, once you say that's an allegory, well then the serpent in the garden, he's just an allegory too. But that kind of thinking is going to lead to all sorts of interesting problems for Christians. Because you've got to wonder, I mean, in all these detailed genealogies you find in the Bible, if you go through those genealogies, at what point do the people in those genealogies stop being allegorical and start being real people? I mean, we have no doubt, for example, that King David was a real historical person. And even the harshest skeptics usually have no doubt that Jesus was a real historical person. So go to these family histories, go to these genealogies, and at what point do you draw a line and say, well, the people on this side of the line were real people, but the people on this side of the line, well, they're just metaphors, they're just allegory. Where are you going to draw that line? I mean, do you see the problem? If you're going to make parts of the Bible nothing more than a legend, then where are you going to stop? As time moves on and we drift further and further away from a biblical worldview, we're going to have to keep throwing away the bits of the Bible that no longer suit us, and eventually you've got nothing left. It's all just allegory. Anyway, I've kind of drifted away from our main topic, so let me come back into focus. Modern Christians now sometimes assume the devil is some sort of myth, because we've been willing to write off the first few chapters of Genesis. And that's the place the devil makes his first appearance. So what we're going to do is go to the oldest book in the Bible. Now, it's not the first book of the Bible, but it's probably the oldest, chronologically speaking. And that's the book of Job. And I want to look at how the devil is handled in that book. And I guess one of the reasons I want to go there is because this tendency we have to think of the devil as a symbol for some sort of internal struggle that human beings have with evil. But in Job chapter 1, there's this whole story where the devil shows up and there are no human beings. I mean, listen to this. This is Job 1 verse 6. It says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. Now, I want you to notice how it says the devil actually showed up in a physical place for an actual meeting with God. Verse 7, And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? 
So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking back and forth on it. Now, let's pause for a moment, because what we just read is powerful. The devil says he was walking back and forth on the earth, and that doesn't mean he was just out for some kind of stroll. In the Bible, you see that the foot is a symbol of possession, ownership, and the devil is telling the whole universe he owns the earth. He's basically saying, I was out taking a stroll on my new property because the human race has handed me the keys. Okay, now verse 8. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless man and upright, one who fears God and shuns evil. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Now, here's what I want you to notice for our study today. Job isn't actually present in this part of the story. He doesn't hear any of this. God and the devil are discussing Job's life without his participation. This is clearly describing the actions of external beings. This is talking about an evil force that acts on Job's life, but Job's not aware of what he's doing yet. That force is described in terms of a real, sentient being. In this story, there's no question. Satan is able to manipulate events and people, and he can even carry on a conversation. He's being described quite literally. So, well, you usually don't find me in agreement with the Pope on a lot of subjects. I'm absolutely with him on this one. The devil is real. Even if I'd never read the Bible, I'd probably still think that because of some of the horrible things I've seen and experienced all over this planet. Stuff that defies the imagination. And I am not a very superstitious guy. I'm not. In fact, I'm usually highly suspicious of Christians who always want to see a demon behind every bush. And I'm always suspicious of these people who describe every single affliction people have as some sort of demonic possession. Actually, I'm convinced that part of the reason so many people are skeptical about the devil is because of the way that some Christians tend to discredit our whole faith with these hyperventilating sermons and this ridiculous showmanship. I mean, if you always turn everything into a spiritual stage show, if you're always casting demons out of everybody every single week, you make us look crazy. You make it seem like the, the Bible is irrational. Why? Because your behavior is irrational. Instead of teaching the Christian faith, you're actually discrediting it. And in the minds of the people who are watching you, the devil becomes something that only wackadoodles and nutjobs believe in. When the devil becomes a source of entertainment, you know something's wrong. I mean, where in the Bible did the apostles plan an exorcism and invite the town to come and watch? Where? Where is it? The answer is they never did that. Their primary business was teaching people about Christ. So, to some extent, all of our own sensationalism has caused more people to disbelieve. But, you know, you don't need sensationalism to demonstrate the reality of a fallen angel. All you need is to show people what the Bible says about God. And after a while, as people examine God, the evidence for biblical inspiration becomes so overwhelming, so convincing, that people will also believe what it says about Lucifer. Everything else has so much credibility that that part looks real, too. It fits. It makes sense. 
we have to take another little short break, but when I come back, we're going to look at one more story that demonstrates, I think unequivocally, that when the Bible talks about demons, it is not talking metaphor, it is not talking allegory, and it is not confusing mental illness with demonic possession. I want to show you that the writers of the Bible knew what they were talking about. So don't you go away. I'll be right back. Hello, I'm Jean Boonstra. Do you feel as if you have more questions than answers in your life? Like, where is God when people suffer? Or can I find real happiness? And is there any hope for our chaotic world? Are you searching for answers to these and other of life's biggest questions? Well, the Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers that you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. You can choose to study in the format that's most convenient for you. You may either do the lessons completely online or have them mailed right to your home. Both options are completely free of charge. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions. And we are back from our break. And today on The Voice of Prophecy, I am asking the question, did the writers of the Bible use the devil as an allegory, or did they believe he was real? Maybe another important question we should explore is whether or not cases of demonic possession in the Bible were just mental illness. But they didn't know it, because medical science in the first century was just so primitive. Well, let's take a look at a story recorded in Mark chapter 1, where Jesus is preaching in the synagogue of Capernaum, and the Bible says there's a man there in the congregation who has an unclean spirit. Now, if you have a naturalistic worldview, if you're of a secular persuasion, you might be tempted to tell this story as a story about a man with mental illness. But there are some details in this story that won't make sense if you make that assumption. Let's read it. This is Mark 1 and verse 23. It says, Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, Now let me stop the story right there. I want to point something out. First of all, This man with the unclean spirit is speaking in the plural. Leave us alone. Even though it's just one man who's speaking. Now that happens to be consistent with some of the other stories where the unclean spirit also speaks in the plural. Like the demoniac you find in Mark chapter 5 who says, My name is Legion, for we are many. So the voice that comes out of this victim is speaking in the plural. It identifies itself as a group, a conglomerate of demons. And I guess you could still chalk that up to mental illness, except for the fact that the victim also clearly identifies and acknowledges Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah. This is happening at an early point in Jesus' ministry, where most of the public has not caught on to who he is. They haven't figured it out yet. In Mark chapter 1, the demon says, Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, that is a very intelligible and highly theological thought for someone who supposedly has lost his mind. And back over in Mark chapter 5, the demons say pretty much the same thing. 
They say, What have I to do with you? Jesus, Son of the Most High God, I implore you by God that you do not torment me. If these are people with mental illness, how is it they catch on to who Jesus is before anybody else? Both of these demons in both stories, Mark 1 and Mark 5, they both identify Jesus as the Son of God. And they both understand that his presence is a threat. Go over to the book of Acts, you have the same thing happening with the Apostle Paul. There's a slave girl possessed by what the Bible calls a spirit of divination. This girl is a fortune teller. And in Acts chapter 16, she follows Paul wherever he goes, and she keeps shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Now, when Paul has had enough of this girl's free advertising, he turns around and says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. Now, if he was just healing the sick, which he often did, if he was just healing the sick, you would expect Paul to speak to the girl. But instead, Paul orders the Spirit to come out of her. And the Bible says at that moment, the Spirit left, and her career as a fortune teller was over. Now, if this was just a kid with a mental illness, it's hard to believe she could go on making a living as a fortune teller. It's hard to believe that people would pay for her advice. And it's hard to explain how she managed to accurately recognize Paul as a messenger from God. If all we had in these stories was someone who exhibited clear signs of a recognizable illness, I might be willing to concede that the Bible writers were simply confusing mental illness and demonic possession. But the details in the story make it absolutely clear this isn't the case. There was always a third presence in the story, someone who could speak for themselves, someone who could choose to leave, and someone who could identify Jesus. Now, Let's go back to the story in Mark chapter 1, Jesus in the synagogue. And you're going to notice the same details there. Jesus isn't speaking to the victim. He speaks to the unclean spirit. Here's what it says in Mark chapter 1 and verse 25. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out. Now, I suppose you could still choose to believe that the Bible was written by simple, unscientific people who were just doing their best to describe what they saw. But honestly, it is a little arrogant to assume that we know better than them, that we know what they actually saw and heard. We weren't there. It is arrogant to assume that our generation is smart and enlightened, while theirs was nothing more than crude cavemen who had to have a supernatural explanation for just about everything. We run into trouble with this. And you really run into trouble when you have to overlook the fact that Jesus actually spoke to an unclean spirit, as if it was real. I mean, you either have to assume that Jesus was also ignorant of the facts, or you have to assume that he was knowingly contributing to the ignorance of his apostles. And neither one of those conclusions fits what we know about Jesus. I guess that's what it really comes down to. When you're trying to decide, does the Bible mean it when it says the devil is real? The question really is, can you trust God? Can you trust what he says? I mean, if you reject the Christian faith, then fine. You could just reject the whole thing. But if you're going to claim to be a Christian, you can't sit in judgment over God's word and pick and choose which parts you want to believe. If that's what you're going to do, I mean, what are you actually saying about the character of God? 
Are you suggesting he blew it with his apostles and the prophets? Did God allow them to write flawed and superstitious documents he knew would be the basis of our faith? Did God falsify the story of Lucifer's fall from heaven? When Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from heaven, was he just feeding the superstition of the day? When Jesus told Peter that Satan was eager to sift him, have him, tempt him, was Jesus just trying to scare Peter with a mythological bedtime story? Or is it possible that Jesus actually knew something? Look, I understand secular people reject the story of Satan because they also reject the story of God. But when Christians reject the story, they should stop to ask themselves what else they need to reject in order to make everything make sense now. The moment you start playing Jenga with the Bible, pulling out the blocks you don't like, you end up with a very shaky structure. And you're going to end up defenseless in the face of temptation because you really don't understand what you're up against. You don't really understand what's at stake. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul is clear that we're not talking about abstract concepts. Put on the whole armor of God, he says, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Look, if Paul was just describing some kind of abstract concept, if Paul was just using the devil as an allegory, it would be hard to understand how the devil could have schemes against humanity. I mean, a scheme is something somebody sits down and writes out. They plan it. Paul says the devil has plans to disrupt your life. Paul says the devil has plans to disrupt the kingdom of God. That's not an allegory. That's not something a metaphor can do. An honest reading of the Bible does not allow for a metaphorical devil. Not if you're honest with it. And especially not if you read the whole book. And I think that's one of the biggest problems we have with believers today, is they don't read the whole book. If you read the whole thing, and I mean Genesis to Revelation, and I know everybody complains, really, the whole book? Yeah, the whole book. Which part of it do you think God didn't want you to read? Read the whole book, and when you gather all the evidence on any topic, it suddenly starts to fall into place and make really good sense. And when you look at everything the Bible says about Lucifer, or about Satan, or the devil, and all the language it uses about him, it becomes quite obvious. This is not allegory. God's pulling back the curtain of the universe and showing us something that really took place. Otherwise, you've got the Son of God arguing with and resisting a metaphor. You've got Paul and the other apostles arguing with and resisting a metaphor. You've got a voice coming out of people that identify themselves as demons, but it's just a metaphor. The whole language is quite literal. The whole language indicates that somebody saw something that actually took place. It's time for us to stop questioning and wonder, is it possible they saw something? I get it. Here in North America, we don't see this stuff. But I've traveled the world, and I've seen stuff... That's exactly like what I read in the book of Acts or in the four Gospels. It's still going on. It might just be possible that we don't see as much of it because, well, the forces of darkness have already won here in North America, and they've convinced us they don't even exist. Honestly, as the recent resurgence of belief in the devil seems to indicate, even if you won't read the Bible, there's still lots of evidence out there to suggest that the presence of evil is something more than just bad ideas. There is a reason that people are starting to think he might be real. 
And of course, the good news is that the devil's not the subject of the Bible. All he's mentioned there. God wants you to recognize who he is and what he says and how he works so that you're aware of it. But then he asks you to turn your attention back to him. He's got it under control. The devil in the the narrative of the Bible is actually something of a byline. He's defeated. And the actual story of the Bible, Jesus, God in human flesh, who came to give his life for you, to save you from what happened here on this planet, that story's so good, that's where your attention needs to be. Don't miss that story. In fact, to help you study that story more, I'm going to give you one more opportunity today to take advantage of our world-famous Discover Bible course. I I want you to have a a relationship with Jesus that is so tangible, so real, that we're just going to give you the course for free. So grab a pen and paper. We're about to describe where you can get your copy of the Discover Bible course. But for this week, I'm out of time. I'm Sean Boonstra. You've been listening to The Voice of Prophecy. Do you feel as if you have more questions than answers in your life? Like, where is God when people suffer? Or can I find real happiness? And is there any hope for our chaotic world? Well, the Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers that you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions.